Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, Transformed. This series will look at people's encounters with Jesus and see how he transformed their lives forever. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you here in the building, as well as those of you who are joining us online today. We're glad you're here. We are in the second week of this series called Transformed, and we're excited about this because the truth of the matter is this, is then you come to believe in Jesus when you come to put your faith in him. Whether you recognize it or not, he's transformed you. He's transformed you from the inside out. And so I've been encouraging people to share their stories about God has transformed them. I've been encouraging you actually even to go to our website and under the what's next tab, you can go there and you can share your story. I would love to hear your story about how God has transformed and maybe others would too. So we've been looking at the Bible, at the lives of those people whose lives have been transformed And we've also been hearing from our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so uh, today we're going to hear from Andrew Wickman. So give him a warm Valley Brook welcome as he comes up. Thank you, Pastor Clark. This is how Jesus transformed my life. I am not your average adult, to say the least. Being born with spina bifida, I've had many challenges among many surgeries, one of which was to straighten my spine, and I ended up in the hospital for two and a half months due to an infection. I went in a 10, almost 11-year-old, and came out, as, came out an adult. I didn't know how to interact with others my age anymore, really, or really be a kid, period. I used to use that as an excuse and blame others, blame others for why no one wanted to do anything with me. Before having a relationship with Jesus, with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I was empty on the inside, but but pretended everything was okay. Never had real friends, but I did everything in my power to impress people and be of the world, thinking that would be a way to win them over and put on a front. I let others pity me and make me feel better, and they would do minor things like covering a deep wound with a Band-Aid, but it never healed. After about 14 years of feeling this way, I was done. I broke and I I learned who Jesus was and what he had done for me on the cross. The one who created me and everyone and everything else cared enough about me to take my place, a a selfish wretch, and to die for me and rise three days later so I could intimately know him and ultimately be with him in heaven one day. And it took me a week, but I gave my life to him. The Holy Spirit had convicted and transformed me. My heart of stone had become a heart of flesh. I stopped pitying myself and letting others pity me, serving others in many capacities almost instantly, and dropping my old life of following the world and its ways, just as Peter and Andrew did that day at the fishing boats. Serving others with the direction of the Holy Spirit and doing my best to show others that Jesus loves them and what he did to show that. Don't get me wrong, it's not easy but well worth it. God reminds me every day of 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul takes, talks of having a thorn in his side, and God's response to him was and is to me daily. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
I may have tough days still, but what God did for me that day on, Cal- on Calvary is enough to sustain me until the day I will meet him face to face. If you haven't ever been encouraged by Drew, you have been today, and he has the gift of encouragement, and I have seen him be transformed by Jesus. Today, we're going to look at the life of the disciples, and, uh, you know, Andrew, I really appreciate you just encouraging us, and I, I believe that when you look at the life of the disciples in Scripture, you'll be encouraged. So, uh, think about this. When you think about the disciples... When you think about all of those people that we read about in Scripture, what kind of people do you think that they are? Well, I'll tell you. They were ordinary people. And here's the reality. When it comes to Jesus, Jesus transforms ordinary people. We're going to talk about that today. Now, the Bible tells us that there were 12 disciples, uh, sometimes called apostles, and these were the 12 who were in the inner circle of Jesus. There was Peter and his brother Andrew. There were the two brothers, James and John. There was Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, the other James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas. These were Jesus' closest disciples. But when you read scripture, you'll discover that there were other disciples also. For instance, there were the women disciples. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke writes about Jesus going from town to town, preaching the good news. And it says, the 12 were with him and also some women who were helping to support them out of their own means. So there were women disciples. And then a little later in Luke chapter 10, it tells us that Jesus appoints 72 disciples to go and go town to town and heal the sick and tell people about the kingdom of God. So while we often talk about the 12 in the inner circle, we have to recognize that there were more than just those 12. But, but what kind of people were they? Well, Peter and Andrew and James and John were fishermen. For those who lived near the Sea of Galilee like they did, this was a common job for ordinary people. Matthew was a tax collector. First century tax collectors were known to be unscrupulous people. They were known to lie. They were known to cheat. And they were known to take advantage of of others to make themselves wealthy. Simon is often often referred to as Simon the Zealot. Jewish zealots in the first century were political activists. They were anarchists. They were revolutionaries who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. And then there's Judas. The Bible tells us actually something specific about him in the Gospel of John. It says that He was not only the disciple who betrayed Jesus, but that he was a thief and that he embezzled funds from the group's money for his personal benefit. Now, 
Let's go back to the women. As for those women who travel with Jesus, we know that they had financial means to support uh, Jesus and the disciples. Uh, we know a, a little bit about uh, them. We know that uh, Mary Magdalene was delivered from the uh, demon possessions. She had seven demons. Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus healed her of that. Uh, we, we learned that Joanna was the wife of Hutzah, uh, who was in uh, Herod's uh, inner group. Um, and it's interesting, and, and I shared this last week, some people want to say that Mary Magdalene uh, was the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and, and dried them with her hair and then per perfume on them. Um, in, in, the, in the biblical language, sinful woman equals prostitute. But here's the deal. Um, Mary Magdalene was a woman of means. We just read that in the Gospel of Luke. And, and uh, so, I mean, logically, you don't need to be a prostitute if you have means. So we just know logically that, that she was not the sinful woman, although some people have tried to say that. Now, that's really all about the disciples that we know from the Gospels. But there's one other place where we learn something a little bit more about uh, the disciples. And this is actually uh, a third-party source. It's from uh, the people that you would say are the enemies of Jesus and his disciples. In the, in the book of Acts, we read that Peter and John were arrested and they were brought before the high priest and his family and the elders and the teachers of the law. And this was their conclusion about Peter and John. They said they were unschooled, ordinary men. Now, I think those two adjectives would describe most of the disciples, ordinary and unschooled. Now, regarding schooling, most of the men probably had some schooling as boys at the local synagogue. Matthew more than likely had some training to become a tax collector. The women, on the other hand, more than likely didn't have formal schooling because that wasn't the culture of that time, but they probably had some homeschooling to one degree or another. But here's what I want you to see. It says the disciples were ordinary. That means they were normal people, normal men and women like you and me. They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you and I do. They weren't rich and famous. They didn't have high-powered jobs. They struggled with the issues of life like you and I do. They struggled with issues like Mary Magdalene did. Some of them were greedy like Matthew and Judas. Some of them were passionate about their politics like Simon and probably Judas also. And some of them smelled like fish. Peter, Andrew, James, and John particularly. But wait, there, there's more about these ordinary people. While we want to make them spiritual giants... They were just normal people. They struggled with sin like you and I do. They expressed the full range of emotions that God created them to express, just like he's created us to express. They had anger. They had fear. They were happy. They were sad. They didn't always understand what Jesus was trying to do. At times, they struggled to believe in what he was doing and, and how he was doing it, and they struggled to put into practice what Jesus believed. Sound a little bit like us? Yeah. And, and speaking of their relationship with Jesus, at times, they let Jesus down. 
They tried to get him to do what they thought he should do. They didn't always listen and do what he said to do. At times they lacked faith. When he asked them to watch and pray for him in the garden, they failed. And then they even betrayed him. When Jesus was arrested, the disciples were afraid. They, they ran for their lives. In, in Mark's gospel, we read this. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then everyone deserted him and fled. And Mark's gospel goes on and gives us this interesting little comment. Mark says, uh, there was a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment that was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Now, that's how afraid they were that, that they would run away naked to get away from those captors. Now, just a little interesting tidbit. If you're wondering, why in the world is that in the Bible? Well, scholars say this, that more than likely... Mark, the author of that gospel, was the young man who fled naked. And that's just a little personal signature of him highlighting something about himself. Otherwise, how would he know that? Now, from the gospels, we do find that actually one disciple ran away briefly, but then he came back and he didn't hide. When those who arrested Jesus took him to the home of the high priest, it says this, that Peter followed at a distance. But of course, we know that Peter was still afraid because eventually he denied knowing Jesus those three times and then the rooster crowed. So when we think of the disciples, we tend to think of them as brave, faith-filled followers of Jesus, but that's far from the truth. They were normal, ordinary people, sometimes who were strong in faith and sometimes they lacked faith. And quite honestly, because before they were transformed by Jesus, they were far more fearful than faithful. After Jesus' crucifixion, it was Mary Magdalene and some other female disciples who were brave enough to venture out into public. But even so, they did it early in the morning before most people were up. When the women came back to the hiding place, and that's what it was, and they told the disciples that the tomb was empty. Only two of them were brave enough to go and see. And in fact, when you read through the Gospels, in the Gospel of John, we read that on that first day and even a week later, that the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now, I've shown all this to you because the disciples of Jesus, the, the 12 in the inner circle, the women disciples, the larger group that Scripture referred to, were normal people like you and me. They didn't do things perfectly. They didn't always get it right. They struggled with faith and fear and following Jesus. That's what ordinary people do. But they were transformed. So how were they transformed? Well, Jesus transforms people through the Spirit. So, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples and he told them how they would be transformed. In the book of John, Jesus appears to his disciples and we see that's how Thomas gets his nickname because Thomas doesn't believe. In fact, 
he is famous for saying, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side where he had been stabbed by the sword, I won't believe. And when Jesus appears to him, he shows shows Thomas his wounds. And in fact, in the writings of, of John and Luke and the Apostle Paul, we read that Jesus appeared to many of his disciples between the resurrection and the, his ascension into heaven. In fact, let me read what Paul writes. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. So during this time, between the resurrection and the ascension, we read that Jesus spent that time teaching his followers about the fact that he was alive, obviously, and about the things of the kingdom of God. Luke says he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He explained to them the prophecies and how he fulfilled the prophecies. And and we know, we know that he ministered to the disciples. You probably recall in the last chapter of the book of John, Jesus comes to the disciples. They've been fishing They decide to cook some fish, and uh, Jesus eats breakfast with them. And then he speaks directly to Peter to, to minister to him. And he asks him, not once, not twice, but three times, do you love me? And every time Peter says, yes, you know I love you, he says, feed my sheep. Now, scholars point out that this is Jesus reinstating Peter after he had betrayed him three times. And that's the significance of the three times. He was ministering to the disciples before his ascension. But what transforms people is when Jesus and God the Father send the Holy Spirit. So John shows Jesus foreshadowing the coming of the Holy Spirit numerous times in his gospel, the gospel that bears his name. And Luke wrote in the gospel that bears his name as well as the book of Acts. And in it, He records what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. So let's look at what he said in both books. In Luke, he says, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then in the book of Acts, he writes, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In the book of Acts chapter 2 then, we read the record of the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And and really, this is the only time we see the Holy Spirit empowering people to do what has happened there. But, But we read about that all of the apostles, including the newest disciple, Matthias, who replaced Judas, they're all in one place again. And it says that the Holy Spirit was poured out in that place and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit transform them? The Holy Spirit transformed them by coming into their hearts and their minds and filling them with the ability as ordinary people to do 
extraordinary things. So one of the unique things that happened on the day of Pentecost, and this was actually a Jewish holiday that now as we've co-opted as a Christian holiday, we call it the, the day of Pentecost. It's 50, it happens 50 days after the resurrection. So on that day, the Holy Spirit gave those disciples the ability to speak in languages that they had never learned. They were able to, to speak uh, in the languages of all the Jewish pilgrims who had flooded into Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish holiday of Pentecost. And, and people heard it and they were amazed. This, this was a sign. This was a sign that, that God was doing something, that he was transforming people by the power of the Spirit. And something else is demonstrative of that transformation. Remember Peter? Peter, who had been afraid. Peter, who denied Jesus three times. Peter, who was impetuous. Peter, who uh, was oftentimes thinking he knew what was right instead of listening to Jesus. Normal, ordinary human being, Peter. But often, in those last days, very fearful. Well, he gets up on the day of Pentecost. And he preaches a sermon. The, the one who had kept to the shadows was now out in the spotlight and he demonstrates what a transformed person looks like. He boldly preached that what had happened at that moment that everybody was witnessing was a fulfillment of the prophetic word of the prophet Joel. That young men and old men, young women and old women would be filled with the Holy Spirit and do miraculous signs and wonders. And he also preached a harsh message that the people that were listening had been responsible for the death of Jesus. And then he tells them, repent of your sins, accept Jesus, and be baptized. And the scripture tells us that 3,000 people responded that day. And this was just the beginning of the transformation of the disciples and the followers of Jesus. This, this was just the, the, the very start of it. In fact, very soon, those very disciples who were keeping a low profile and hiding out were no longer doing that. We see in the last part of the second chapter of Acts that they were meeting publicly every day in the most public place in Jerusalem. They were going to the temple, to the courtyards of the temple, and they were praying and worshiping there. Amazing. Now, these people had gone from being frightened to being fearless, from being bashful to being bold. That's transformation. Now, earlier in this message, I shared what the high priest and the elders and the teachers of the law had concluded about the disciples, that they were unschooled, ordinary people. All of these unschooled, ordinary people were transformed by the filling of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, these ordinary people were now doing extraordinary things. Though their lives were still in danger from the authorities, they were no longer afraid and in hiding. They publicly told people about Jesus. They publicly prayed for people. They publicly healed people. They publicly invited people to become followers of Christ. Now, I didn't tell you everything that the high priest and the elders and the teachers of the law concluded about those disciples. Here's the entire statement. 
when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, of course, these people who made this observation didn't recognize that that Jesus was the Son of God. They thought for sure he was a blasphemer. They didn't believe that God sent Jesus to the earth or that he ascended back to heaven. They, They thought the body had been stolen. So too, they didn't know that God the Father and God the Son had sent the Holy Spirit that the prophet Joel had prophesied about and that these disciples were being transformed by the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you read through the book of Acts, you can't help but notice that these followers of Jesus are transformed in ways you would have never believed from what you read in the Gospels. They're not afraid of confrontation anymore. They're not fearful of being arrested for following Jesus or teaching about Jesus. They don't fear being punished. They're not even afraid to become martyrs. When Peter and John were told not to preach anymore, not to teach anymore about Jesus, this was their reply. And just look at the boldness of this. They said, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And what do we see these disciples doing at other times? They're praying. They're asking God to enable them to speak with boldness and to do miracles in Jesus' name. When they're arrested, their response to the charge that they have not followed the orders of the authorities is, we must obey God rather than human beings. When that response comes, gets them punished by flogging, having their backs ripped open with whips. Afterwards, they don't run and hide. They don't claim their rights and fight back. No, the Bible tells us they go home rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. And every day, as they go through their lives, They take those opportunities to tell people about Jesus and the difference he's made in their lives, the transformation that has happened. They continue to proclaim the good news. And why did they do that? Because they've been transformed. When Stephen, one of the first deacons, is stoned to death and becomes the first martyr, they don't stop telling people about the transformation they've experienced. When persecution breaks out against the church in Jerusalem, yes, some people move out, but they still don't stop talking about the transformation that Jesus has made in their lives. This is actually part of the way God used the gospel to be spread throughout the known world. When King Herod had the apostle James, John's brother, put to death, those followers don't stop preaching the good news Why? Because they've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. They are fully devoted to following Jesus no matter the cost. They've been transformed and they'll never be the same again. And and this is not just something that the Bible says. 
the early church historical records and even some secular historical records show how the followers of Jesus were different than the secular culture. As followers of Jesus, they were transformed to share with others what they knew, and they were transformed to love others and care for others and to serve others with what they had, even if it was at their own peril. They were transformed. So let's talk about you and me. As followers of Jesus Christ, as, as believers, that means we're disciples. Jesus transforms us when we decide to believe in him and to follow him. And he sends the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, to be in us and to be with us. That's right. If you genuinely come to faith in Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Now, don't let that scare you or freak you out. The Holy Spirit is gentle and kind and doesn't take over you, turning you into some type of robot or, or take control and, and make you do things or say things that you don't want to. The Holy Spirit's gentle. Je Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. He said the Holy Spirit would be our comforter, our advocate. And he said that the Holy Spirit would be our guide. So the Holy Spirit has come into every follower of Christ to be our teacher, our guide, and our comforter. The Spirit will teach us and remind us of things that Jesus taught. The Spirit will guide us in the ways of Jesus. And the Spirit will be our comforter and our advocate as we follow Jesus. Letting the Holy Spirit be your teacher, guide, and comforter doesn't turn you into some type of robot. The Holy Spirit would be gentle. The Holy Spirit will nudge you to do things that are spirit-led, but you can choose to do it or not. You can reject the Holy Spirit. You can reject the nudges. You can, the scripture says we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit by not being obedient to the Spirit of God who dwells in us. The Apostle Paul encourages then in the, in the book of Galatians in his letter to walk by the Spirit. In other words, to live your life following the leading of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul says when we do that, we'll actually produce some fruit. Fruit that will demonstrate that we're following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Bearing that kind of fruit is evidence that we've been transformed by Jesus. Now, I have to say this, you know, just as we say the disciples weren't spiritual giants, even after they had been transformed, they made mistakes. They sinned, but they could go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Remember, when we think about, sometimes we think about God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we separate them as individual beings and not recognize that they're all one also. And so Jesus transforms us by the Spirit of God through the Holy Spirit. But you can, you can hold the Holy Spirit at arm's length and say, nope, not me. Or you can say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome. So let me ask you. Have you been transformed by the spirit that Jesus and the Father send? 
Have you genuinely believed in Jesus and started following him? Have you let him send the Holy Spirit to you to live with you and in you? If you've come to believe in him, he's done that already. If you say, well, I don't sense it, that's again because the Holy Spirit's not going to take over you. You need to follow the nudging, the leading of the Holy Spirit. You need to turn to what Scripture says and, and let it inform you about what the Spirit wants to do in your life. You need to, to welcome him into your life every day and say, Holy Spirit, teach me what I need to know today. Guide me where you want me to go and give me comfort as I seek to be a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward because we're going to sing a song called Holy Spirit, You're Welcome Here. And, and I invite you to, to make it a prayer. And before we sing that song, I actually want to pray for all of us. Now, here's the deal. If, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you haven't received the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to start off with a prayer for anybody in this room or online who would like to put their trust in Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe in you and I want to follow you. And when you do, the Holy Spirit's going to come and fill you. And then I'm going to pray for all of us that we would make it a habit every day to say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in my life. Guide me and lead me. So if you would, bow your heads and let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love for us and that you and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us. Lord, I recognize that there may be somebody in here who says, well, I don't have the Spirit because I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus. If that's you... I just invite you to pray this prayer silently back to God. Here's the first phrase. Dear God, I do believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he rose again from the dead. And now I declare that I want to follow him all the days of my life. And then I'll move on to a prayer for all of us. God, we know that when we believe in Jesus, you send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is gentle and is not going to take us over. So we want to pray today. In this prayer and in the song we're going to sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in our lives. Lead us. Guide us. Help us be fully devoted followers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.